0: Well diary, it's been a while since me and Dickie Man's brains in his pants moved in over the fish and chip shop and I've been so busy this is the first time I've been able to get to my diary. The first night we stayed in the flat was so terrifying I'll remember it to the end of my days and if we don't soon solve the problem of these big old crows trying to break in, the end will be sooner than we think. I remember my dad fishing out in an old recording of Hitchcock's thriller The Birds and you know what, I reckon me and Dickie Mant's brains in his pants have landed right in the middle of it. Just now, I nearly leapt out of my skin when he popped his head round my bedroom door. I don't believe it, he gulped. It's gone, eh? And there's you still lying in bed. And what's that you're scribbling? Nothing. I rammed the diary and pen under the bedclothes with such force I nearly did myself a private injury. Not that anyone would notice what with my social life being non-existent. Anyway, what's the problem? I grumbled. After all the work we did yesterday, I deserve a lie-in. He threw himself on the bed, his face wreathed in one of them obnoxious grins. Don't tell me you keep a diary, he laughed. Only prissies and young girls keep a diary. I gave him a forceful push. As you well know, I'm neither a prissy nor a young girl, and if you don't mind, I'd like you to clear off while I get washed and dressed. I'm not going till you show me what you're hiding under the bedclothes. I mean it. I had to be forceful. I want you to bugger off out of my room. "'not until I see what you've got there.' "'I've got nothing that might interest you, "'so you either leave of your own accord or I throw you out.' Ooh! Again that obnoxious grin. "'Touchy-touchy, Ben!' When he made a grab for the bedclothes, I gave him an almighty shove that sent him sprawling across the room. He scrambled up and glared at me. "'You've really hurt my feelings,' he muttered. "'I've seen a side to you that's positively awful.' Feeling guilty, I waited for him to leave, then I leapt out of bed, locked my door and hid the diary under a loose floorboard. I then ran to the grubby old bathroom, had a quick swill, combed my hair, had a shave and got dressed. When I walked into the makeshift kitchen, the delicious aroma of sizzling bacon drifted across the room. ''I made breakfast,'' Dickie said sullenly. ''You can eat it or leave it, I don't care.'' He sulkily slid two plates onto the table, each loaded with mushrooms, bacon and egg, and even a slice of toast on the side. It was burnt black, but I didn't complain. After all, I needed him to help me paint the flat. An hour later, we set off in Dickie Mance's old banger. I hate this useless heap, he kept saying. I really hate it. So why didn't you keep your old Audi? You know why, because I've been put on short time and I would never have been able to pay off half my deposit for the flat, let alone help with all the paint and brushes and new plaster for that gaping hole in the ceiling. Which, I might add... "'You put there yourself when you were putting things in the loft "'and fell through the ceiling, twice. "'Well, there you go.' "'Like many before it, the conversation was fast developing "'into a full-blown row. "'If you'd gone up there like I asked you, "'the ceiling might still be intact. "'You know I have a fear of heights.' "'A fear of work, you mean? "'I'll ignore that. "'Anyway, this flat needs a fortune spending on it. "'If we wait for the landlord to do it, "'it'll be ages before we can invite anyone back. "'We both know that sacrifices have to be made.' All right, I get the picture, I apologised. Sorry. No, it's me that should be sorry. I'm just accident prone, I can't seem to help myself. You need to calm down, I reminded him. What about the other day when you leapt out of the car and had a real go at the man in front because he didn't move forward when the lights turned green? Too damn right, he deserved a telling off. No, he didn't. The poor sod had broken down. He couldn't move even if he wanted to. That's not the point. Dickie was a genius at arguing. There's a code on the roads and we all have to follow it. What code? Sometimes he is a mystery unto himself. Like I told him, the lights go red and you stop. The lights go green and you go. But he couldn't go. That's what I'm saying. He couldn't go when he should have done. So he held everybody up and no doubt they all arrived at work stressed out. When Dickie Mance gets some silly idea in his head, there is just no reasoning with him. So I gave up while the going was good. Ten minutes later, we were circling the roundabout outside the B&Q store when the car gave a loud snort and shuddered to a halt. Oh, no. It was the last thing we needed. The damned engines conked out. Now it was my turn to panic. We don't know that yet, Dickie said. Let's not panic until we know what the problem is. Dickie got out of the car and peeped under the bonnet. It's uh, well heated up, he said, climbing back inside. Have you got your mobile with you? Yes, why? I asked suspiciously. Because I haven't got one now. You know very well I sold it so we could get new door locks. Dicky was getting sulky. If you hadn't made that agreement with the landlord, he'd have bought the door locks. Never mind that. What do we do now? Dicky thrust a card under my nose. Ring these people, he instructed. They're sure to come out and help us. I was duly impressed. Uh Aha, so you got that emergency cover after all. About time too. I'd been nagging him to cover himself in the car in case of a breakdown. Ben, will you please stop nattering and get on with it while I see what I can do? Do you want me to have a look? I needed to feel useful. He gave me one of those shrinking looks. Not one of your best ideas, he quipped, seeing as how you're like a light gone out where engines are concerned. While he scrambled out of the car, I read the card. It said, Archie's little helpers, if you have any unforeseen problems, give us a ring. Underneath it read, Don't let your garden turn into a wilderness. We'll tend your plants anytime, anywhere. No job too big or small. All you have to do is call. If it hadn't been so tragic, it might have been funny. Dickie bloody man, get back here, damn it! He looked up. Are they on their way? He asked, all covered in muck and oil. Did you tell him it was urgent? How long will they be? They're not coming. I was seething. And why is that? Dickie looked puzzled. Because they're not car people and they don't do emergency breakdowns. Rubbish. They gave me their card. Any problem, they said, just give us a call. Oh, you're a prat and you always will be. I'll just give it here. I can't even trust you to make a simple call. Grabbing the card from my hands, he glanced at it and flung it back. You're the prat, he said righteously. Look, it says right there, no job too big or small. All you have to do is call. You're absolutely right, I had to agree. The only thing is, they're gardeners, not mechanics. That means they tend to plants, not cars or lorries or even push bikes, but plants, as in tulips or forget-me-nots. So are you saying they lied? Oh, he's either thick or away with the fairies. No, I'm not saying they lied. What I'm saying is you must have leapt to the wrong conclusion. Now we're stuck at a roundabout with cars jammed up behind us and a thousand hooters playing a tune. So, to my mind, there is only one thing to do. And what's that? We'll have to push this heap of junk off the road. I'll ring Poppy and ask if she knows any mechanics. Failing that, we'll have to find one ourselves. Dicky was adamant. You won't catch me pushing this thing. I've got my back to think of. Never mind my reputation. The queue of irritated red-faced drivers watched as we pushed that sorry heap of metal to the side of the road and as they went by it was fingers in the air and looks that could kill and that was just Dickie Mance's brains in his pants. Behave yourself, I told him, but as always he took no notice. Now what do we do? Leaning over the bonnet, panting and puffing, he did look a poor and sorry thing. Someone had to keep it together, so I squared my shoulders and made a plan. Look, I'll ring Poppy like I said. For now, we'll just go inside and buy the paint and ceiling plaster and all the other stuff we came for. How can I? He wailed. We've no way of getting the stuff back to the flat. We'll arrange for delivery. How cunning is that? And who's going to pay the 15 quid delivery charge? I gave him a helping hand towards the main doors. I'll pay the charge. Magnanimous to the end, that's me. With hunched shoulders and a pug face, he made straight for the paint racks. Look, they've got a selection of orange. He grinned, pointing to the top shelf. Panic set in. Are you sure it's orange you want? I asked hopefully. If I were you, I'd go for a quieter colour. Well, you're not me. You choose the colour you want for your room, and I'll choose the colour I want. Orange is a bright, happy colour. There was no changing his mind. Thankfully, I was far enough away when it happened. Dicky climbed onto the bottom shelf to reach up and grab the particular shade of orange he wanted then the whole thing unfolded like some creeping nightmare. Firstly, the bottom shelf he was standing on collapsed. Then, all four shelves came down like a crumbling pack of cards, while underneath it all was Dickie Mant's brains in his pants making a run for it, screaming and yelling like a banshee. The top shelf fell from the farthest end and got him good, with pots of paint spewing out in all directions. When it was over, the ensuing silence was broken only by the shouts of assistants trying to bring order through chaos. Wide-eyed and groaning, Dickie was lying on the ground, well and truly tangoed from top to bottom.